welcome back to Hospice More Than Morphine. I want to start off by thanking everybody for such an overwhelming response to my first episode being posted. I appreciate so much all the love and support, so thank you, thank you. I did want to mention one thing here quick before we get started with episode two. On episode one, when I was discussing all the services that hospice offers, I did leave out that we also have volunteers. Uh, This is a great addition to the team as well, too, especially for those that are just looking for some companionship. Uh, The volunteers are great with sitting with the patients and just giving them that support, you know, even if it's just sitting and talking or playing a card game or board game, you know, it's, it's a great additional service as well, too. So with that out of the way, let's get into what the topic is for episode two. I would like to talk about why hospice, why now? So let's kind of dive into those indicators that could say if you are possibly eligible for hospice or not. So when I say indicators, I'm referring to mostly the things that could come up that would say to yourself, a loved one, any healthcare providers, you know, things that may indicate that you are eligible for your hospice benefit. Now, some of these symptoms that we will review, mainly most of them, you want to think about things that have happened over the last six months to a year. So the first one we will talk about is unplanned weight loss. And this is usually a pretty big indicator that things are changing. Unplanned weight loss, you want to think about anything where, you know, you've not made any attempts at losing weight, but you still keep losing weight and are not able to really explain why. If you take a dive in to the last six months and calculate your weight loss, and if you notice that you are 10% loss of what you previously were, that's a huge indicator that things are happening. The next symptom that a lot of people experience is uh, excessive sleeping throughout the day. You know, you find that you're sleeping all night long, for the most part, and you still find that you're napping pretty often during the day, and this is outside of your norm. Some even find that they're sleeping longer during the night. So say six months ago, they may have slept eight hours during the nighttime, and maybe still were taking an hour or two nap during the day, but become more fatigued and find that they are sleeping anywhere from 10 to 12 hours a night, but then in addition, also sleeping those couple hours during the day. Typically, you find this starts to happen, you know, as your body is making changes, and it's just more tired. It, it just needs more rest to be able to get through. So let's talk about one of the big indicators. You know, you find yourself, let's say, over the last six months to one year that you have had multiple hospital stays, even ER visits. You know, 
you go because you're having increased shortness of breath and things that have been done at the hospital and post-hospital after you're home, you know, you find that things seem to be only temporarily better and then you have an exacerbation that sends you right back to the hospital again. And every time you go to the hospital, they pretty much do the same thing, which gets you by for a few months, maybe even a few weeks, and then you find yourself right back to where you were. This goes back to the previous episode when I was discussing the Band-Aids. This is pretty much what it is. You know, you go and you get kind of your quick fix. That's the Band-Aid. And it's only temporarily covering up what is truly lying underneath. And for all my healthcare peeps out there, just know that you should really be paying attention to these indicators as well. Because when they come to see you after their hospital stay to do follow-ups, you really should pay attention to... What happened at the hospital? How did they respond? How many times has it been? You know, are the specialists that they are seeing putting them on medications? And despite all of this, they still are having these symptoms? You got to think about those kind of things. Another indicator that things may be changing is excessive swelling of your legs and ankles even though you may be elevating them or you're on diuretics and you've had multiple changes with these diuretics. And despite all of that, you know, you're noticing that the swelling just isn't improving. If it does improve, it is only temporary and typically will require either an increase in your water pill or it will mean that you have to add additional diuretics just to help get it controlled. And most of the time, despite all this, the swelling is just still there. And it just keeps coming back and gets worse and then ends up causing more problems. So let's move on to the next symptom is difficulty breathing. And this will start to occur even at rest when you're doing nothing. You may just be sitting on the couch trying to just watch TV or read a book and you still feel short of breath. Or you may have started using oxygen and this is new for you. And the oxygen at one point helped with your shortness of breath. And even with oxygen, it's no longer helping. It's actually requiring you to continue to keep increasing the amount of oxygen that you're getting. There are so many things to talk about when it comes to shortness of breath. So I will discuss more in depth about all of those things when we get into discussing more of the individual conditions themselves. Let's now talk about infections. When you find that you continuously keep having infection after infection after infection, and this could be things like pneumonia, bronchitis, uh, urinary tract infection, you know, anything that really brings you down and out is an indicator that your body is changing and it's becoming more weak and not able to fight off 
all of these viruses and bacterias that come about. And then you tend to find that you, in a year's time, may be required to take antibiotics multiple times. And at some point, those don't even work. And then because of all of these infections, each one just you don't go back to your baseline. So meaning you just don't bounce back like you used to. So, you know, each infection that you get just tends to put you down. And each time that it comes about, just put you down again. So then you tend to just be so weak and just don't want to do anything because all of these infections have just taken a toll on your body. And then... In addition to all of this, then you find that you have no appetite and you find that the things that you once enjoyed, you just aren't hungry and you don't want it. It doesn't sound good. So then that just plays into the already unplanned weight loss. You continue to keep losing weight because then at that point, you just don't want to eat. So all of this just tends to be a domino effect. And once one thing happens, it just keeps spiraling out of control. And then you tend to find that you start having difficulties with your activities of daily living, meaning just even showering or dressing yourself or grooming yourself, um, just even ambulating and walking from one room to the next just seems like it is just so tiring and you're so weak that you don't even feel like doing any of it. Or you may find that you are requiring assistance with it where before you were independent and was able to care for yourself. Or there are times as well too where you might find that you are no longer able to cook where you were before. So now you're having to depend on somebody else to make your meals and set them up for you. Or you may be using something like Meals on Wheels that gets delivered to your home to help you with this kind of thing too. Housekeeping becomes a burden and, you know, then you tend to have where you need people to come and help you with those kind of things as well too. And then you find sometimes where you may become more dependent on somebody to help you with toileting or you're just more incontinent than what you used to be. So you may have only worn a pad during the day, but you're finding now that you need to wear a pull-up because the incontinence comes and, and you don't even realize that you were incontinent. Some people are more incontinent than bladder than bowel, and you may even just be one or the other, or you may find that you become incontinent of both bowel and bladder. Let's talk about some memory loss and confusion. There are many ways to kind of look at this, and a lot of times it's going to be your family or healthcare providers that are going to notice the difference with this. And most of the time, you're going to find that you may have been alert and oriented to person, place, time, and now you may only be alert and oriented to yourself. And, you know, your family may notice that you start to get some sundowning where, you know, that means at nighttime, 
typically around dinner, you start to have changes and the confusion worsens. And you may even start where you're having some agitation and anxiety because of it. Sometimes you may start to see where there is speech that doesn't make any sense and they can't stay on track with their words and sentences and they're not able to really hold on to conversation anymore. Some of the speech that they have is going to be totally nonsensical and none of it will make any sense. Other times you may have where it is good days, bad days, and some of it makes sense, some of it doesn't make sense. But the big picture is just knowing that in the last six months, how much has that really changed? And if you really notice a difference with it, then that is when there is a huge indicator that something's changing. Another area is wounds that are not healing. Sometimes they may be getting worse. A lot of times we tend to find the wounds on the coccyx area or even on the buttock. You know, I mean, they don't have to be in them places, but that typically is where you find the most of them. And I think this is because, you know, you're not as active as you used to be. And so the pressure points that you have, you're not moving. And so the more pressure on them, the worse that they get because you're not able to reposition yourself sometimes. And when the body starts to decline and change, you know, the skin is an organ just like any other organ in your body. And so as you decline, your skin is also going to decline as well. One of the biggest indicators I feel that I see most is just generalized weakness because you're declining and things are happening your body overall is just weak. And from that, there's so many things that happen, such as just unsteadiness. And this causes you to have more falls. You know, it could be something as simple as you getting up from the couch to go to the kitchen to get a snack, and you fall. Or you're just trying to reach for something and you fall. And you start to find that this is occurring more and more and sometimes so much so that sometimes falls can even result in fractures. And then that brings on a whole nother bag of worms. One of the indicators that I think may be lost in the shuffle sometimes is pain. You know, I don't care how old you are. You should not be living with pain that is not relieved with some type of measure. And if it continues to keep getting worse and worse, you know, there's a problem. And, you know, you may not be able to take away all of the pain, but you shouldn't be living with pain every single day. Pain is its own subject that I will definitely do on a future episode. But just know that pain can come from many places. And it's important to ask specific things about pain. And that can help healthcare providers to know what type of pain you're having and how to treat it. However, if you continue to keep having pain, despite everything that you've tried, you know, this can be an indicator that there is something underlying that's happening. And when you're in pain that is not relieved, 
you know, that can cause stress on your body and that can cause just all kinds of additional things that you don't need when you're already going through enough as it is. So this is just kind of a brief overall of symptoms that you can find that could indicate that you're eligible for hospice. So I always like to review the generalized things because there are so many other things to discuss along with each additional diagnoses and chronic condition that you might come across. So I like to separate those as well too. But I just hope that reviewing these as a generalized thing will help you kind of think about what we kind of look at as hospice providers for the changes and decline that we see with patients. So just know that it can be difficult at times to tell really if somebody is eligible for hospice, especially when you're not specialized in it. And so don't ever hesitate to ask your family doctor or for any of my healthcare providers out there, don't ever hesitate to ask for a referral because, you know, you never know. They could be, they couldn't be. And if for some reason you're not eligible for hospice, most people are eligible for palliative care. Now, I know I briefly kind of reviewed that as well, too. Um, if, If you're not eligible for hospice and palliative care are always an option, it is a service that you can utilize that also deals with chronic conditions and can help manage those symptoms to improve your quality of life. So remember that that is always available as well. So I am hoping that this was helpful in general of reviewing things. And there's just so much to talk about when it comes to hospice that it's hard for me to try to kind of separate everything because it's just so much information. And I know it can seem overwhelming at first, but my hope is to really get people to understand what hospice really is and know that it doesn't mean that it's truly on your deathbed. You don't have to be days to death to choose hospice, you know, the sooner that you come on, the better. They actually have shown the quality of life improves so much that it actually expands a patient's life by approximately 23 days when you choose to come on to hospice sooner than later. So keep that in mind as well, too. I also like to kind of throw in there, too, that you know, you have all your specialists as far as like, say, your cardiologist and your pulmonologist and gastroenterologist and, you know, the list can go on. Well, hospice is just that as well. We're a specialty and we specialize in symptom management. And there are a lot of other specialists and specialties and family doctors and, you know, you name it that aren't comfortable with what we do. 
but you have to understand that that's what we do on a daily basis. We do this every day. And the goal is, as always, is quality of life, to improve your symptoms, to make you feel better, and to be able to just be that support for your mind, your body, your spirit, everything. That is why we have so many services, you know, outside of the clinical aspect of things with the nurse, the doctor and nurse practitioner, you have your spiritual care. So chaplains and pastors that will come in and can be that emotional, spiritual support for you. The social workers who can also be that emotional support for you as well. And then you have our loving and caring hospice aides who come in and are basically the big part of taking care of you and having that hands-on love and care and be in the eyes and ears of change as well too. So in addition of all of that, you have the other services that I had mentioned where some hospices have massage. Massage can do wonders for helping with pain or helping with edema and circulation and just relaxation for anxiety and helping to calm a person without having to medicate somebody. And then some hospices will offer music therapy, which can do the same. I mean, a lot of people connect to music and, you know, to be able to hear that, that can also help relieve pain and anxiety and a lot of things that just help calm the patient and just be additional support. So when you kind of look at the big picture, and like I mentioned as well, too, with, with volunteers, it's the same thing. You know, hospice isn't just about morphine. So that's so important to me because that is probably the biggest misconception that I hear. Hospice, morphine, death. And I cringe every time I hear it because we are not about just that. It is so much more. And so if I can do anything with this podcast is to get everybody patients, families, loved ones, healthcare, just to know that we look at everything and we want to be there for you and we want what's best for you determined on what you think is best for you. So keep that in mind. So I want to also mention that I've had so many patients that have told me that if they would have known then what they know now, that they would have came on to hospice sooner. You know, I've had so many people that have told me, are you going to graduate me from hospice? Yes, that is a thing. And they only say that because they feel so much better. Their quality of life has improved so much that, you know, they feel that they're not eligible for hospice any longer, which isn't true. So I just want to mention that because, you know, when people give the trust to us of doing what we do best, they will find that it is what is best for them. 
As I mentioned, yes, graduating from hospice is a thing, and I will make sure to discuss that as well on a future episode. Um, That is basically just when a person has improved so much that they don't meet those requirements that Medicare has set for hospice eligibility. So there are a handful of times that that does happen. So, you know, just keep that in mind as well, too. So I think that's going to wrap it up for episode two. I know it was a little more brief than last time, but it's easier to discuss things as far as eligibility when I can relate it to each individual condition. So more to come on that. I again want to thank you for having patience with me as I learn this whole podcast world and I am definitely not tech savvy, so still learning the ins and outs of all that. I am looking forward to more episodes and putting a schedule together to try to figure out guests to come on and talk with me, so stay tuned for that as well too. So if you ever have questions please feel free to email me at hospicemorethanmorphine at gmail.com. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and I hope you have a great and blessed day. Mm-hmm.